This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And I'm here with Mr. Christopher Ernst. Hello, everybody. Who has brought us Mr. Steve Berg. Yes. Hello, friends. And uh, this, this, this show is Chris's idea because I'm not actually familiar with your stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, um, uh, people might have heard, uh, I guess I'll do the introduction then. Uh, people yeah. might have heard Steve on uh, you know, Banal uh, of America or Conspiranormal. I don't know if you did any other sort of Fortean uh, shows. I've done uh, a few. Yeah, did Radio few. Mysterioso. Yeah, Radio Mysterioso yeah. with Greg. But um, anyway, uh, Steve uh, comes from uh, the entertainment industry, but he is also um, a Fortean researcher. And in particular, uh, you know, I had uh, just been out at Strange Realities where we had been uh, showing a, a special preview cut of the film. But where did the road go? Sarai and I have been working on and Steve did a presentation there on weird Nebraska uh, where he's been, you know, he's from and been living for the past uh, a couple of years. Um, he moved back there and he'll, he'll tell you more yeah. about that. But some yeah. really cool stories about Nebraska. And I think, you know, for the where did the road go listener. Uh, this is, you know, these types of stories are right up the alley of anybody that, um, uh, you know, anybody's been listening to the show for, for at any point in time, uh, I think we'll recognize that these, the exact kind of stuff that people are into. And I really hadn't heard much about it. And it's funny cause I, I had taken a trip, uh, across Nebraska and had thought about this, like maybe, I don't know, before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, we were like cutting across there and I was like, man, we should stop and find some, you know, strange, you know, 14 places or strange sites. And there was no, no, no resources, no resources, nowhere to go. Um, yeah. So I was really enthralled by your presentation. Cause I was like, Oh, we could have done this and that. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Um, you know, like obviously like uh, growing up in Nebraska, I was always uh, fascinated with anything going on here locally, but you know, kind of before the internet, it really was truly like, hard to find, you know, good high strange cases in Nebraska. We had the, the thing that we're probably, uh, you know, in the ufological world that we're best known for is the Herbert Shermer case where, mm-hmm. you know, 1967, the police officer was abducted. And, um, so that actually, you know, occurred like 25 miles from where I grew up in Omaha. And so that was always like, so exciting. I, I would honestly just like sit there in my bed at night going like, wow, someone was abducted 25 miles away from me. You what, know? What, <laughs> the, what were the details just for anybody that's not as familiar with the Herbert Sherman? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, because it is an older case and maybe a yeah. lot of people don't know. It. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was 1967 and, uh, this guy, he was a young cop named Herbert Shermer and he was kind of a war hero. Like, you know, I think that probably would have been Vietnam he fought in, I'm guessing, or Korea. I don't really know which, to be honest. Um, but he came back to Ashland and became like a cop. And, you know, he was loved by everyone in the town. And one night he's doing his nightly rounds, like around two o'clock in the morning. And he basically his rounds, like it was such a small town, include like 
going through the downtown and then kind of on the outskirts of town, he would go by a filling station to make sure everything was okay. On his way back from the filling station, he sees, you know, like I, you know, it's, it's described a couple different ways, but the way Herbert described it originally was that it was this kind of like, you know, large football shaped thing that had like, you know, a rocket coming out of the bottom, mm. almost like <laughs> Socorro case where it was like, you know, shooting out fire. Yeah. It landed, which actually at the time the junk, it was on this like highway junction or it was more like country roads, but the junction was 66 and six. So that's the junction, nice. of 66, which I always think is a fun detail. Um, it's always left out. Uh, but so he goes up and then, you know, a uh, door opens and a entity or, you know, alien for, you know, lack of a better term, pops out and walks up and asks him if he is the watchman of the town. And he, oh. you know, <laughs> you know, and then they have this short exchange. He has like a wand in his hand. And that's the last thing he remembers. He wait, kind of like wait wakes up in his car or his, you know, police car cruiser and goes back to the filling station and tells the sheriff, tells everyone he was in a panic. He filled out a really long police report that night. And then, you know, the next day or, you know, a couple of days after I, th- this, this case was actually was a pretty big deal in the Condon report. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, the, 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 the thing that they, which was kind of like a whitewashing of UFOs sort of like, yeah. you know, back you know, in Boulder, I, th- I can't remember what year, <laughs> but it was during that. This is a case that they really talked about quite a bit. They even brought Herbert Shermer to some of those to Boulder anyways. But like the local army base came out and supposedly actually someone just uh, forwarded me an old um, UFO journal that said that they did find a piece of metal kind of by there. But anyways, long story short, Leo Sprinkle gets involved in the case and starts doing hypnosis and regression therapy on him. And he realizes he had like this pretty intense abduction experience which you know i mean i don't know i love leo sprinkle i think he did some great work but like you know the, the hypnosis thing is always kind of suspect yes. you know yeah i mean i i'm not like I, I don't have a hard stance against it but to me it doesn't make you know the case any more credible right yeah <laughs> because, yeah yeah you know but um but you yeah you so, can't you, you can't trust the information retrieved from hypnosis I, I believe the same thing, you know, like, I just don't think, I think maybe interesting things could be gleaned from it, but that's about it. (laughs) Right. I I almost, yeah, I almost wish that it was for for this one. Cause the one, one of the things that I really liked always about this, I think it came out under the hypnosis was that they, the, the aliens hat or the, the, you know, creatures had uniforms that had some weird sort of snake insignia yes. on them. Yes, that's uh, that yeah. is one of my that, then the symbolism behind that's kind of like is interesting, right? Yeah. So like they all had these little badges and they kind of like looked like their faces kind of looked like old men in like this like onesie jumpsuit with like uh, you know that covered their head and they had like an antenna out of their head. So they were I will say the drawings he made, the real cool looking retro type of like aliens, which I love. So I think that was one of the things that attracted me to the case, even as a kid, is that they looked very unique. And um, but yeah, it was the 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 fallout is kind of interesting. It's kind of the most interesting part sociologically to me is that so when this happened, right, it became kind of a big story, and like even like nationally, and like all the UFO. Um, you know, I, uh, Heineck, I think, was involved in it. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it was actually taken very seriously, you yeah. know, because it was around the time of Socorro yeah. and another cop <laughs> almost had has a similar experience. Um, but the town is a small little like town in Nebraska and the town completely turned on him. Really? The church. Oh, yes. So the the church basically took this as like a demonic thing. And they said he is like a spawn of the devil. So next thing you know. 
people are burning effigies of him like off bridges in town. They were like rumor. I don't know if this is true, but the rumor is they blew up his like civilian car with dynamite. I mean, it was wow. bad. They were throwing, they were throwing bricks through his window. So this poor guy, and he was like in his early twenties. He was one who, uh, you know, one day he's a war hero. The next week he is like a heretic in this town. So he ends up moving and changing his name and really doesn't reappear. And I just, I just found out, I actually was lucky enough to meet his brothers in Ashland at this kind of like, it's kind of ironic, like two years ago, the town of Ashland did this kind of celebration of Herbert Shermer, even though the town treated him like absolute garbage and ruined his poor man's life. Now Now the UFOs are. Now they're parading it in because UFOs are cool again. And I was like kind of (laughs) begrudging, but I'm I'm like, but you know, I'm going to go check it out because I heard his brothers were going to be there. And hopefully if they're not too swamped with people, I'll get to talk to them. So and I, sh- I end up going like five people show up, <laughs> right? Uh, so his poor brothers like, you know, came all the way there and they're, they're pretty old right now, but because, you know, they were bored, they talked to me for an hour. And one thing that they told me that was really interesting, other than corroborating that they believed their brother until day died, he's like, this happened. I'm not making this up. Sure. They, he, they did tell me that when they were kids, one of the brothers wasn't born yet, but um, the oldest one and Herbert and their father had a very dramatic UFO sighting in New Mexico around White Sands uh, back in the early 50s when they were kids. Huh. Wow. And that lit up literature because, you know, I, I feel like the reason why they never brought that up is because back in the 60s, if you were a repeater, then you were like, you know, considered, you know, not credible. Right. Yeah, because yeah, this is like after the, uh, you know, because this was what, like six. So that's far after, you know, when it was permissible to sort of be visited by the Space Brothers. Yeah. 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 So, you know, not that I scooped that information, but I think I might have scooped that information. So (laughs) I was pretty excited about that. Um, And just meeting his brothers and hearing their testimony, you know, they told me like they're like this ruined his life. He was like a war hero. He was like this like kind of macho cop guy who everyone loved. Next thing you know, he changed his name, moved to Georgia, and became like a fundamentalist Christian. Wow. Because he was so troubled by what happened to him. Yeah. So it's kind of a sad story in a way, but it's an interesting case, one that's kind of close to my heart. And like, if you can find, if people can find there, like you were talking about, there's some illustrations that are done in sort of like the classic UFO style. I forget what they're from. I want to say maybe a Jerry Clark, but I could mm-hmm. be wrong. Uh, but they're they're pre- they're pretty cool uh, if you just you know search for it it's out out there. I always I remember reading those and being struck by it. It's one of the ones that sort of stuck in my head. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So that that's that's you know obviously one of my uh, you know that that's the Herbert Shermer story, kind of the uh, you know short version. But yeah, right. it, that that was kind of one as a kid that really just like got my imagination going, just because it was kind of a quasi famous case and it happened so close to me so i think that was kind of like an initial like <laughs> big inspiration to me yeah. whether it's you know there's any credibility to it or not i still every once in a while go out to the site where it happened and just like stare at it <laughs> I mean, know, for, I, so, for something like that it sounds believable to me it may not have yeah. you know it may not have been what he thought it was but i think he had a real experience there from the sounds I, of it i yeah uh, I, I totally agree. i totally agree we know whether something got like you know exaggerated or repurposed in a, in a new narrative with the hypnosis. Right, I have no right. idea, but the initial story, like you said, is right. I, I do yeah. find pretty darn credible. Yeah. So the, 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 like the, the parts of it that are sort of classic high strangeness and the way in which that it sort of, it, yeah, it, he, he presented, I, I always felt like this uh, again was one of those, you know, legitimate encounters with the other, whatever form yep. it actually took in. And that's I, really I, cool. I totally agree. Yeah. And you know, it's, 
And it, it kind of goes with like, you know, like part of my president or basically the focus of my presentation when I did it at Strange Realities was eastern Nebraska, where I'm from. Yeah. And that, you know, occurs kind of on that eastern line of Nebraska where there is just quite a, going from the very tippy top of the state all the way to the bottom. That eastern line right along the Missouri River is where I am finding personally. It's maybe because I'm focusing mostly on that um, because I'm, I'm obviously inspired by Keel, like you mentioned earlier. And, you know, he always talks about the best way to study this stuff is to take a small microcosm of a geographical location and study the people, study the religion, what do they eat, you know, and you'll start finding weird stuff. So, yeah, that's been kind of my focus, and I'm finding some weird stuff, man. <laughs> you know, it's been awfully fun. And you, and you do, uh, what do you do on movies? So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm an actor. I've been, you know, working, uh, gosh, I moved to L.A. probably in, in the year, year 2000, and I started doing Second City in a lot of um sketch comedy and improv and that was kind of my you know intro to the world and you know next thing i knew i didn't really even plan on being an actor really i i kind of went out there to point you know when i studied film in college and i wanted to be a filmmaker mm. kind of make david lynch ripoff movies <laughs> and um <laughs> that didn't you know but i ended up becoming an actor just kind of an accident because I, I i always loved comedy and i was like pretty good at it so yeah, I got, I, you know, kind of got like an agent manager and then started doing commercials and TV and yeah. So basically, you know, my kind of like, I guess what I get hired for most is, you know, as a character actor, you know, like small little comedic scenes that they want to juice up a little bit. You were driving a, a trolley or tram. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, darling. Yeah. I, have a yes. small part in that. I was like, oh, it's Steve. Yep. 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 <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's fun. I, I love being a character actor. Th those are like. The guys like Ned Beatty and Brian Dennehy were always my heroes growing up. You know, those guys who came in for like two or three scenes and stole it and just, you know, dropped the mic and walked away. You know, so and not that I'm even in the ballpark of those guys. But like, yeah, I, I do love kind of the role of being a character actor and doing that. Um, but, you know, obviously, if someone wants to pay me to run around Nebraska and document high strangeness, I'd rather do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard work to find. Let me tell you. Isn't there, isn't there a strange and uh, you, we were talking about this a little bit in, in Nashville, but there's sort of this, uh, this bleed over from like, uh, long, like long form improvisation, mm -hmm. or maybe just like the comedy scene in LA and, uh, uh, a, a little bit of Fortiana, like John yeah. Tenney, you know, like yes. he was it, right. Right. Well, I was talking to Tenney about it and, yeah. um, I actually, you know, like there's not, so I'll, I'll give you kind of the long and short of it. So there's this guy named Del Close, right? And he started like set, he was kind of one of the first founders of the second city back in the fifties. Right. Anyways, he became this kind of guru teacher of improv, like comedic improv and sketch comedy. You know, he was basically the guy who taught and directed and like fostered Bill Murray, John Belushi, yeah. everyone on the first, basically on the first 10 years of SNL even kind of stretching into my generation, you know, like Del Close's influence is really felt all through right. acting in Hollywood since the, you know, early seventies. But one of the, the interesting thing that where he crosses over into 40 on is that he was a Wiccan. He was a practicing, you know, until they died, he was a practicing Wiccan and, you know, a, and magician. Yeah. And he rubbed elbows and like, you have to take everything with a grain of salt when it comes out of Dell's mouth because you don't know exactly what was true or not. Right. But apparently he was, you know, tight with L. Ron Hubbard and helped give him the suggestion to turn Dianetics into a religion. And like he's just this really interesting guy who was super into the occult and infused that 
into the way he taught improv. Like when I learned to do improv, it, like long form improv is different than like, you know, whose line is it anyway? Long form improv is basically like you are putting up a one act play that is completely made up for about 40 minutes. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, the way you, you know, start like any kind of improv shows, you, you know, someone comes out and says, can I get a suggestion of something you touched today? And someone would say like light bulb. And then everyone in the group who's performing the improv does what Dell called an invocation and it's invoking to the gods. And he saw he it, creating group mind on stage. And so people would like start chanting light bulb, light bulb and start doing weird stuff and yeah. everyone would follow. And then it would become like this group mind thing to where it, it worked so well that sometimes, you know, when you were doing a great improv show, you wouldn't be thinking about what you were saying. You wouldn't be writing like in your head, you would just go out and it would all yeah. out. You know, so he saw it as you are performing a magical ritual on stage for people. And the result is they laugh. So and it really is. And at the time when I was learning it, since I was a kid who, you know, grew up loving occult studies of, of, you know, a lot of different stuff. um, It it really resonated with me. I was like, wow, we're doing magic on stage for comedy. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize it was that sort of explicit with Doll Close. That's really crazy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and like the thing is, I think like a lot of it was tongue in cheek, and he was kind of being overly dramatic, and he liked dark stuff. But I think he was he was dead serious about it too. Well, that's the whole thing about you know, like you know, you fake it, and then it becomes real. I mean, yes. that line between theater and actually, yep. you know, performing workings is yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. It, it, yeah, I mean, putting up theater is really just a ritual. It's yeah. really anyway. Yeah. So you know, yeah. That's why all theaters are haunted. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it's kind of amazing. I mean, you know, beyond the like uh, uh, the whole Sammy Davis Jr. was a Satanist, which he was, you know, I mean, yeah. he was hanging out with Anton LaVey. Oh, yeah. He was uh, in San yeah. Francisco hanging yeah. out at the Black House. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think I realized yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. He was. Only- there's a whole. Yeah, there's a whole like um, I think like Eddie Murphy does a whole bit about uh, like it at one, you know, uh, of uh, Sammy Davis Jr., you know, uh, talking to him about, you know, like, man, Shayton, he's the real, he's the real deal. He's, he's a the, cool cat. Yeah, he's a cool cat. Yeah, <laughs> I forget what it was on, but it's 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 a funny bit. Well, is, I, I mean, not only did, you know, Jacques Belay's kids play Donkey Kong with Anton right, Bay at right, the Church right. of Satan House, but Sammy Davis Jr. hung out there, you know, a yeah, lot of cool things happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, all of that, the like the intersection of that, you know, the occult, uh, it's it really is. I mean, I, it's so funny. I didn't know that about Doug Close, but it makes so yeah. much sense. It makes so it, much sense. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a good book about his life. If anyone's interested, it's called The Guru. Uh, I, funny enough, it's called The Guru. It's and, called um, The Guru, right. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting. That it, it does touch upon quite a bit of that stuff. Yeah. But it's funny. I think a lot of the people I performed with or, you know, people, I mean, like a lot of people you see in TV and movies are learned from Delph teachings. Like you would yeah. be you very surprised how many of us. Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially know. this way, I feel like the wave and, you know, for people aren't familiar, like uh, you can see Steve on like Drunk History. He did a couple of those. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, what's uh, gosh, I'm completely forgetting her name. She was an actress on the actor on that uh, bunch. She did a, a 40 in uh, podcast for a while. I think Tenny was on it. Wasn't oh, it? Maria, uh, Maria. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Maria is a great friend of mine. Right. Right. She's off. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. What what what's yeah. the most paranormal uh, thing you've acted in? Well, uh, 
gosh. So in two th- so in two thousand ten, I attempted a movie about Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. Um, and I I I co-wrote the story, acted in, and like co-directed. So that would be. Pre- I mean, that was a pure forty on thing. Now the movie did not turn out exactly like I hope I'd. <laughs> I'd as it w- happens, and, you yeah. know, as it happens. But, you know, that was definitely like a pretty intense uh, 40 in film, I suppose. But other than that, really nothing, you know, oh, okay. unfortunately. I, I mostly do – most of the stuff I get hired to do is comedy for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Steve, actually, before we, we met up again, uh, Steve was one of the, the first people that, you know, we talked about uh, for the starring role uh, opposite Go Rightly in The Hill and the Hole. But oh, it was uh, – That's right. It could have – Yeah, yeah. conflicts for it. I love that movie though. I, I think after Thank it came you. out, I told you right away. Yeah. I was like, man, that movie is so great. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can't go wrong when you do something with go rightly, but you, um, <laughs> totally. so, so, uh, all right. So I want to, uh, even though well, I like, uh, going off the road, I want to go back cause I want to hear some of these stories again. Sure. Um, well, 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 my, my first question yeah. though is, is it yeah. strange living in Nebraska? Right. Yes. Yes. Um, it's a good place to start. God, it, you know, it is not, I mean, I grew up here. So I, I, you know, I, I lived here till I was 18 then like went off to college and kind of went to LA. So I haven't been, like lived here since I was, you know, in high school. So that part is kind of weird. But I come, I always came back here multiple times a year. I'm very connected to this part of the country. I, I just feel it, you know, it's like, I feel like if you grew up with seasons and grew up in a certain place, you feel like weirdly connected to it, you know? And I always like dream about it. And like, I always, even when I lived in LA for those 20 years, I was always like hungry. I was, I was always looking more into Nebraska Fortiana than I was California Fortiana. Mm, okay. Cause California right. stuff feels so picked over. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? like, it's like, we all know everything there is to know about California. Cause it's like, we're yeah. studied states of like for high weirdness, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, it, 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 I mean, I guess it's strange living in Nebraska. You know, it, it is a cult, somewhat of a culture shock, but Omaha is not small. It's like a million people. So in terms of like city stuff, it's kind of got everything LA has, just not a notion. Yeah. And, <laughs> and probably cleaner air. Clean, definitely cleaner air. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Well, let's let's uh, Chris. Where were you going to go with that before I interrupted you? Oh no, it's fine. I was just going to say, um, uh, yeah, to uh, sort of prompt uh, your story about, uh, I guess, moving back and then what mm-hmm. you started studying or like the yeah. the first few things that you started sure. looking into sure well so like yeah w- when i moved back it was um i kind of decided to move back it was right at the beginning of the pandemic and i started like freaking out because i was like oh man you know my parents are getting older they're here all by themselves they have no one if like you know they got sick with covid and so i was like man like you know this feels like a good time to move back my wife was cool with it so when I moved back, my like, you know, my industry was totally like shut down for a year. Yeah. Really. You know, yeah. it was like there was not much going on at all. So like what I had known to do for work for 20 years was just like put on hold. So, you know, I just decided to live lean and then kind of dive into Nebraska high strangeness obsessively. And I just had so much fun with it. And so like one thing I could do, you know, like because I was trying not to get COVID because I was seeing my parents all the time and I wanted to protect them blah 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 right that one thing i could do is go out to cornfields with bow hunters and who have seen bigfoot and, and go <laughs> listen to their stories so i started doing that i've, I've been um I, i've been doing a lot of contacting uh historians from small towns and librarians and just seeing like you know asking them kind of what i'm after you know and 
a lot of times I'll have a case I'm trying to look into more and find information out, or sometimes I'll just cold call small towns and say, hey, do you have a history of any kind of weirdness in the town? And sometimes they'll say no, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm being so honest. Most of the time say, oh, yes, we have a we have a haunted rec center. I have the keys. I can open it up for you. And they get so excited. Like, nice. So many of these historians and librarians, I think, are so bored that when someone calls and gives them like a little bit of a challenge or gives them something kind of fun and weird, they are so willing to help. Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I have like a, I have a network of like historians and librarians all over the state who will like feed me little articles. They're like every once in a while, I'll just get an email saying, "Oh, hey Steve, look what I found," and it'll be like a it'll be an article that is like from 1878 about like an eight foot tall wild man running in the street, you know. And I'm like, "Wow, this is amazing!" So, yeah, I just almost kind of like made it my job for about a year when I came back here to look into this stuff and try to document as much as I can because I have this like stress and like worry that all these stories are just going to disappear if someone doesn't do it. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. And there, 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 Soraya, you probably, and Chris, you guys probably know, but you, have you, you've heard of Ray Boucher, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, um, yes, but I don't know what, what well, it is. Ray is, he's, he's, you know, like an old 40, not old, I shouldn't say old in age, but. Out of studies, he was actually he was 17 years old, and he called Herbert Shermer like the day after he had his sighting. <laughs> like he was like this very he was like friends with John Keel when he was 17, like back in the late 60s. And um, but Ray has been very helpful to me. He's kind of um, he had this Fordian Research Society in the 80s and 90s with a couple of the guys to where when cops in Lincoln, Nebraska would have like a sighting of a Bigfoot on a farm or so instead of flying saucer landed in their field, they didn't have time to go check it out. The police did. So they would call Ray and his okay. buddies at the 40 research site and say like, Hey, do you want to go check out this Bigfoot who keeps on picking apples at this lady's house? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yes, we do. So <laughs> they had this like great little thing going for like two decades. And they would release these newsletters just called like Nebraskan 40 and research thing. And I was a huge fan of that. And so that's been like a huge resource for me. And Ray, Ray's been really sweet and nice to kind of help me out and send me some old articles and just things he's found to boost up my files. Cause I think, you know, like I think he wants to get these stories out and preserve them as well. So, sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm very serious in preserving the history of Nebraska high strangeness. It's, it's like very important to me. <laughs> how, how open are, like, when you go out with bow hunters and stuff, how open are the people talking about it? Do you get any real hostile sort of responses? You know, it's not really. Everyone's been pretty nice. Now, the one problem I've run into quite a bit is that, like, the bow hunter, for instance. So there was this guy who I'd heard on a podcast and he talked about this incredibly like scary, dramatic Bigfoot sighting that like messed him up, like really, really scared him. It was like by a cornfield in Nebraska where they actually have quite a few historically Bigfoot sightings, which that's the thing. People always think, Oh, Bigfoot Pacific Northwest or, you know, maybe yeah. in Ohio, they're everywhere. I oh, mean, absolutely. these sightings have happened everywhere. We, Nebraska does not have a lot of forest, which, you know, we, would kind of lead me to lean towards a more Josh Kutch and Tim Renner idea of what this uh, creature is. But that's besides the point. But so this bow hunter, when I went out with him, he was super reluctant because when I told him my name, he Googled my name and he saw that I was like attached to comedy and acting. So he thought, like a lot of these people think, I'm there to make fun of them. 
Oh, okay. And it's always really difficult. I have to like just talk my way out of it. So a lot of times, like when I yeah. find yeah. these witnesses, like it's a lot of times, most of the time I convince them that I'm on the level just by talking to me. I think they can think like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's sincere. But it is kind of a hurdle I've come across. So because, and I don't blame them, you know, because sure. people, there are like a lot of those like comedy shows and stuff like that that do make fun of these people, do Absolutely. make fun of people. And I hate that stuff. Like that actually, I'm super sensitive. And like, I would like that kind of sandbag comedy where you're making fun of somebody and exploiting people is that's something I would never do. So right. Right. I, I, I have to quell, quell them right away. But this guy wasn't exactly hostile, Soraya. He was kind of just like really scared. You know, when I went out with him, we were, he was showing me the cornfield, like there was like some tree line of forest, and he was showing me a lot of these like, now I'm not like a Bigfoot hunter or anything like that, but he was showing me a lot of structures and like these tree structures that absolutely blew my mind. Like Chris, I think I showed some really briefly. I, cause I was, you know, yeah, so, yeah. There was some, there is some really weird stuff that I have no idea because we were talking, I mean, this is in the middle of nowhere. We are 20 miles from cell service. Right. And like, he would have to go out there with tractors and pulleys and do all this just for me. Right. And I right. don't think he did. Like, <laughs> and this stuff is like, it's truly like, I have no idea how it happened. It's, you know, there's some, some of those things I'm like, there's no way that's natural because that tree is like, doesn't even come from this area. Like it's, it's just really weird stuff. And like in some of the trail cam, you know, some of the trail cam footage you have, there's an orb in one of them. And yeah. then this other one, there's like, I mean, in like some of these, I'm not sure the validity of them, but the, in one, there's kind of like a hairy arm <laughs> and in one of the corners. And yeah, but it's really interesting. But yeah, he, him and I have now become kind of friends and he's really comfortable around me. And so every time he still is having activity at the same place and you know, the thing is, he will not go out there in the evenings with me anymore. Like, you know, I was like, well, would you want to go out there with me? And I can't get on the lanks of private without him. So I want to go there at night, you know, but right. like, I also don't want to trespass and be a jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's funny because you say, you know, Bigfoot sightings are everywhere and they literally are. They're, they're in every yep. state and there's there's places that there just could not in any way support a large group of yep. Primates and the flesh and blood people will sort of acknowledge this, but also kind of gloss over it. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. When I met, when I met both Josh and, and Tim, they were both flesh and blood people. I'm the one who kind of convinced them that, uh, you know, this, this doesn't make sense. And right. the funny thing is I'm still open to the flesh and blood explanation for say something in the Pacific right. Northwest. Right, same. You know, like it's certainly possible that an undiscovered primate or in the Himalayas or something like that. And and like Tim's always like, no. And I'm like, yeah. you were such a flesh and blood guy and now you're so yeah. the opposite. Yeah, I mean, like, I think, um, wait, am I echoing on your end? No. I'm not? Okay, good. Um, I, I, I sort of like look at it like it's kind of like the ETH. I'm not totally throwing it out. I think there's sure there could be a chance that it's extraterrestrial biological entities from another rock out there. Sure. But to me at this point, it does. It's one of the most least compelling, you know, theories about it. I think that feel the same way about Bigfoot where it's like, sure, they could be flesh and blood, but it's the least compelling to me, yes. you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I it, think I, I think I heard on you actually on this show where you guys were talking about everything East of um, like Colorado is the goblin universe. How does that go again? You weren't you guys talking about the Goblin Universe? Yes, so, but I don't remember that. I think AP Strange brought that up. Oh, okay. 
And I, I like that idea just because I, I'd rather see a Bigfoot in the Goblin universe than the, non, the non-Goblin universe. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's people don't, people have a problem with it not being both things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, when they, when they did a study in like India and they, they analyzed all this hair and stuff, you know, looking for, for Bigfoot and they found an undiscovered bear. Really? And I'm, and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's not Bigfoot, yeah. but it shows you that this stuff is out there that we don't know about. God, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, I mean, yes, Bigfoot's going to need a lot to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and, but like you said, like, I, I mean, if, if you look at like Nebraska on Google Earth, there is, I mean, there are forested parts, but it is 95% open field. Right. You know, right. Like, it's just not a place an eight to nine foot tall creature could go without being detected. I, I just, I can't believe that. You know? Like, yeah. And, and I mean, like the, the idea of orbs and stuff being seen around areas that Bigfoot are, yep. are so, is so common. It's um, so common. UFO sightings when there are monster flaps, so common, and both sides will ignore the other part. So it's like, yep. oh yeah, this, these UFOs were happening right here. We're going to ignore there were also monster sightings. Yep, exactly, exactly. Like, well, one of one of the see now there is this very interesting flap that happened the like the year after Herbert Shermer. It, it might have been a full year. It might have been like six months later. About 25 miles away, outside of Nebraska City, there was this ghost town called Minersville. And this place, John Keel actually talked to Ray Boucher when this stuff was happening. And, and John Keel back then was just kind of coming up with the idea of the window area. And he told Ray, what you're looking into is a window area. And the similarities between Point Pleasant are, are amazing. All of this happened right by a major river. There's a power plant really like a quarter mile away. And like, you know, it's, oh, what, what are the other um, similarities? Um, oh, there was a tragedy. A mine collapsed and killed like four, 44 teenagers back. And so like, you know, it's like, I'm like, all this stuff, it's like these things, these patterns keep repeating themselves. But what they were seeing, they were seeing UFOs, structured craft, landing. They were seeing lights all over the Missouri River. There was a ton of Bigfoot sightings and, and like really dramatic ones. Ones were like, there was a report where a, a teenager got thrown in a ditch a girl got the back of her car picked up. Yeah. There was black cat sightings, all like a ton of black cat sightings. So, I mean, like this was happening for like a year and it was like crazy. Like it was just going off there. And then it kind of shut down just like Point Pleasant. The, it's the, very the, interesting. The mind, mind collapse that happened before or after all the stuff that happened before. So that's okay. definitely different than Point Pleasant. It wasn't like a harbinger um, type of situation, but we do have our flying uh, wing humanoids, which I could talk about at any at drop of the hat. Yeah. Well, why don't you do that? that that's always an interesting <laughs> okay. subject. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, just about 25 minutes, 25, 30 minutes away from Minersville, which I was just talking about. Just directly south, right along the Missouri River. In 1957, there was this guy who they called Mr. Hanks. It's obviously a fake name. He was driving home into Falls City, Nebraska, a small little cute town. And he sees what looks like a giant bird like flying in the sky. So he's like, oh, that's kind of weird. <clears throat> and then the uh, thing he sees, the bird, whatever bird he thinks it is, starts getting closer. And he notices that this is not a bird. It looks like what he described as a demon. <laughs> It was this creature who had like tan leathery skin, like light blue crystal eyes, but the most, in, in, for his hands were like dove wings that were spread out. But the, the, what, the most interesting part to me is that 
this entity had what looked like leather straps and a harness to its nest, to its chest. Like the wings were not organic. They were like mechanical. And so the, the creature started flapping its wings and it was having problems and it was wobbling. And it would turn these dials on its chest. So it had like some kind of technology that it was like fussing with. It, it, sounds, so, it sounds almost steampunkish. It is so steampunkish. Yeah, right. Doesn't it? This case is like, it's not famous, but like Keel wrote about in the tower, Valet wrote about it in Dimension. So it, it, this one is definitely out there. And it's probably my favorite one just because it is so weird. So this, yeah, this thing had like these leather grid-like wings that were like strapped onto its shoulders. And it had, it started wobbling and having problems. And as it got closer to Mr. Hanks, Mr. Hanks became paralyzed and could not move. And he freaked out. And like, you know, finally this thing gets really close to him and then it just, it, it like corrects the mechanical air and just takes off and then he can move again. But this completely like <laughs> sort of ruined this guy's life again. Because he talks about how, like, he did the rest of his life, he took on a second job so he could work more and not have to sleep. He's like, I would only sleep two or three hours the rest of my life. He's like, I just had nightmares. So he's like, I could not sleep the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. So it was like really troubling. It wasn't one of those like things he saw. It was like, cool, flying wing humanoid. No, it like messed him up. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of people are getting like Chapel Perilous sort of uh, yeah, totally. instigated with them. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder, you know, if, if like certain people are predisposed to, you know, I guess everyone is, you know, going along with the, the bandied about Greg Bishop's um, co-creation hypothesis. I kind of wonder how, like, if your emotional reaction to this, you know, helps create what you're going to see you know like i don't know like i because i wonder like if soraya saw the flying wing humanoid you know like because you, you're more prepared for this you've experienced right. a lot of stuff before if you if it would behave yeah. different for you than it would for someone who's like ontological world just got rattled you know i think about that a lot too in terms of things you know happening because i and i mean i don't know not I don't know if i should knock on wood or whatever but it's i don't I'm not particularly, I'm not scared, you know, no. I mean, it's probably, uh, you know, different than sort of how Soraya interacts, but as he's, you know, famously said, you know, this stuff isn't really scary. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not like when I'm in a dark forest or, you know, something like that, it's hard for me to get the creeps. Um, yeah. If there's anything anomalous, I find it curious. And I wonder yeah. if in some way that at least for me, less happens because there's no fear to feed on. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wonder that too. And you kind of, you know, I mean, at least with the poltergeist activity, you know, classically in the books I read as a kid, and I don't know how much credence people hold in this anymore, but poltergeists would attack sort of vulnerable teenagers going through like major change. Well, it was you generated know, by those teenagers. Right, right, right. And I see, and I think the same, and that would kind of lend to the co-creation thing, right? They're co-creating a phenomenon or they're allowing it in. I don't know. Maybe that's different. I, I think, well, I, I think you're, you're projecting in, in those cases, you got kids who are generally under a lot of stress um, yeah. and having issues. And whereas, you know, some kids act out, some people just have this natural PK energy and that, that yep. starts expressing itself unconsciously. They're not aware they're doing it. Um, right. and, and it's entirely possible if there's also an entity there, it might pick up on that energy and start feeding on it. Right. Yeah. I sometimes think it's that kind of perfect storm when you get the really weird situations where it's like you have a, you know, a, a teenager going through difficult um, psychological times that has PK. There also is some sort of entity or something that exists, you know, either as part of like the location or whatnot. And that, right. that this is where you get 
some of these real like these these cases that are just like kind of baffling or really stand yeah out. yeah like you know there it, it does seem like it, well, you, it makes you wonder it, like if to exp- have like a dramatic kind of confirmation experience in high strangeness does it need to be like this confluence of events that go just perfectly you know like you know like you're in the right state um the weather is right or you're in such a liminal place or a mystical place like soraya do you ever like recall when you've had some of your more dramatic experiences if like there was like a confluence of liminal things going on oh yeah definitely in some cases Right. Not all of them, right. uh, but they ge- of them. They ge- as I'm writing the, the autobiography, I'm noticing a lot of stuff happened in, in packs. Mm-hmm. You know, like what I thought was, oh, this happened, and also this happened, and and I'm going, oh, these all happened in like two weeks. Right. Right. And We're, so it's kind of after the fact, uh, after you like you kind of like deconstruct your last like week or right, two. Right. Right. Oh wow, this was leading up to something. <laughs> And I wasn't looking for patterns like that at the time. So now right. as I'm right working on the book, I'm finding more and more things that I, uh, that looking at it with my eyes now, I'm going, oh, this makes a lot more sense. You yeah. know, because I also yep. think, you know, sometimes we simply encounter things that we don't have constructs for. Our brains right. will then either ignore it because it doesn't feel like it's important or our brains get scared because the unknown is scary. Yeah. And so it will then, that's where the co-creation thing comes in, where it applies to it like, oh, I don't know what this is. It's scary. What's scary? Well, monsters are scary. This yep. must be a monster, you know? Yep. Yes, exactly. It's like, it's like you know, like you're creating an egregore on demand almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that, the next person who sees that thing, they may see the same energy or maybe that energy picks up part of what you've put into it. But still, now they have a paradigm because, well, someone saw something weird like a lizard man. Right. And now someone else encounters this weird energy and they go, well, that must be the lizard man, you know? Right. And right, it's, yeah. it's right. not conscious. Their brain just yeah. fills it in because that's the, it needs something to put there and it doesn't know what it is. Yes. Right? Yes. It's I interesting totally to think so. then if you have these, you know, instances where like the, you know, an in, one individual sort of does that and just you're sort of speculating, uh, you know, if we're taking all of this sort of co-creation to be uh, functional. So, okay, one person does that. They see something that takes on a very unique shape, like, I don't know, Hopkinsville Goblin or something mm-hmm, like yeah. that. Now it has this fixed shape. You're talking about something that's, you know, sort of working in the same way of like that, you right. know, uh, Schrodinger's cat this idea of indeterminacy and then it becomes that like now it's fixed, but it is almost arbitrary as to what it looks like. There's no like, you know, grander archetypal symbolism or anything like that. Yeah, and yeah. It's interesting to think about it in that way. Cause it goes very much against this idea of there being, you know, common archetypes and that this is just, you know, one person's crazy imagination, but it fixed it. Fixed right. Itself. Yeah. And it also makes sense why Bigfoot sightings from different areas would be so different. Yes, exactly, because they do differ quite a bit. Yes, yeah. Um, so what what else do you have from from your studies? What else, what else stands out to you? Oh, okay. Well, let me see. Um, 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 there is okay for okay in 1922 in oh my gosh, I think the town is called Scribner, and I don't have my notes here. I have so many small town Nebraska names. I believe it's called Scribner, right? But in 1922, there was this guy who was a deer hunter and he was hunting um, along this creek and he sees this like it is in 1922 before the flying saucer thing. He sees like a silver saucer zip by him at incredibly fast speed 
And then he said it. he sounded like it landed like uh, like 200 yards away from him. And then so he was like freaked out, kind of frozen. And so he starts walking kind of towards where he thinks this thing landed and a flying entity zips by him and then lands and then like and then takes off again. And so then he said it left track from the snow and he was trying to find it, but then it disappeared. So this like flying saucer zips by him, this kind of big craft. And then like a couple minutes later, a flying entity zips by him. So this is a funny case. In, yeah. in Val- Valet, actually, originally this was discovered by Gray Barker, which I know. I, I, I love Gray Barker's stuff just as a personality. But a lot of it, you know, he was known to host things. Oh, yeah. But um, so he originally found it. So I, don't, I think a lot of people didn't take it seriously. But then in one of um, Valet's Forbidden Science books, he talks about this case and how we found the report in Dayton, Ohio, at the Air Force Base, whatever. I can't remember the Air Force Base is there. But um, anyways, at the Air Force Base, when he was go- allowed to go to some files, he found this case hmm. from 1922. So I was like, oh, well, you know, like the Air Force had it and maybe it's something. But I always love that because it's another flying humanoid case. Um, yeah. I think that's good fun. Um, we've had a quite a bit of cattle mutilation. Nebraska is no, probably better no, known for two things, and that's corn and beef. And so uh, we have cows grazing all over the state, especially in western Nebraska. And during kind of like the Linda Moulton house stalking the whatever, I can't remember. Stalking her, the herd. Stalking the herd. Stalking the herd. Stalking oh, no, that's Chris O'Brien. Yeah, so Chris O'Brien, yeah. Uh, oh, hers right. was a strange harvest. Strange, strange harvest. harvest? Yes. Yep. Well yep. done. Well done. Yeah. Um, she, you know, talks about there's the Jurgens Ranch, which is in western Nebraska, and they had, you know, some UFO sightings that coincided with uh, some very, 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 very bizarre catamulations. And the catamulations are, those are tough. I mean, there's a bunch of net were reported in UFO books, but I've actually, um, I'm currently t- one of my friend's wife's dad's, my friend's wife's dad. Yes. Okay. That made sense. He is a rancher, a former retired rancher in Nebraska. And I'm actually meeting with him next week to talk about some of the weird experiences. And he says his, he had some cattle who were mutilated too back in the eighties that he has really? no idea how this happened. And he said a bunch of other stuff happened out by his ranch. So he's going to, I'm pretty excited to talk to him. Um, so yeah, we definitely have the cattle mutilations. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting, that's a kind of a ongoing story is that in North of Omaha, about 70 miles is a, is the Omaha Indian reservation and the Winnebago Indian reservation. And there is actually a Sasquatch hunting team called Red Squatching on the Omaha Omaha Indian Reservation. And they report just an absolute smorgasbord of high strangers out there. Really? Bigfoot is obviously the entree that they kind of bring people in at. But they have orbs of light. Um, a lot of times they, you know, they talk about how these Bigfoot will appear out of a out of a purple mist. They have little stick figures that like <laughs> that run around. One lady talks about like a gargoyle looking creature landed on top of the bank on the reservation. And apparently from the way people talk about it, and I followed like their reports almost like every day that Bigfoot is just walking around the reservation. Like it's no big deal. Like going through people's trash, (laughs) you know, like they're so nonchalant about it. Like there was a story about the tribal police coming to a woman's house where she kept on having like her, like her yard was being disrupted and her chickens were being eaten by a Bigfoot. And supposedly, I have no evidence to verify, but this is the story that the tribal police found the Bigfoot underneath her, underneath this woman's porch, <laughs> and they were tr- and they were trying to shoo it out. <laughs> I 
just thought it was such a funny visual to me. Um, but so that really is going off and they will take people on tours. If you like donate to the tribal council, they'll take you out like an overnight. And I've been offered to go out a couple times, but it's been with big groups of like 15 people. Yeah. And for some reason, I just don't really want to do that, you know, and they kind of make it into like a whole day. It's like, Hey, you bring your kids and we make like a Bigfoot thing. And you, 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 know, you like don't a, want the entertainment aspect. You want the data. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So they, they told me they'll take me out, you know, it, and it, they really aren't charging that much, you know? And so they're going to, hopefully before winter comes, I'll be able to go out there by may have to wait till spring, but that I'm very excited about because I've actually talked to, I reached out to a couple people who had gone on these expeditions. And the most hilarious thing is that some people say like, oh my God, we saw like, you know, what looked like a, you know, a big tall thing with like glowing eyes, like a shadow. But a lot of people will say, you know what? It was okay. I was pretty disappointed. All I saw were, the, were like these orbs of light. And I'm like, wait, what? You're disappointed in that? And so, yeah. But it's amazing. No so, Harry Ape. I know. Isn't it funny? They go out there and like if they don't get Bigfoot, but they get this other high strangeness, they're like, oh, the night was a bust. Uh, to me, <laughs> I would be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like that would be a dream come true for me. So yeah, hopefully I, I, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think they can like make, make high strangeness on demand happen, but no. you know, there seems to be, you know, currently a lot of weird stuff going on, but it is like this piece of land because both these reservations butt up against each other. So you're totally not allowed to go wandering on there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I want to do it right and wait until I have permission, but that I'm definitely excited about. Have have you had any experiences of your own? Oh, man, nothing worth talking about, honestly. Like it's one of those th one of these things where I know people talk about the George Knapp uh, paranormal kryptonite, but I do feel like I mean I have been into this stuff right, since I was like a little little kid. Like I never remember a time in my life where I wasn't like intensely interested and also kind of trying to have these experiences. And I just haven't like, you know, like I, I think maybe, maybe I want it too bad or something, you know, and like, and I go to these places, you know, like I, I have been anytime I've been somebody, you know, in Atlanta, if I'm like stuck in Atlanta, you know, working on something for a few weeks, well, when I have an off day, I am finding the weirdest place and going to it, you know, like <laughs> always trying to confront the phenomena or however you want to say it. But no, I really have not had any kind of confirmation experience you know other than like weird synchronicities that you know those can be very dramatic too but like oh, yeah, yeah i've never like really seen anything with my own eyes no not yet not yet what was the what was the weird thing and maybe you can just talk about mm -hmm. uh maybe it wasn't the weird thing itself but you could talk in general is it seven sisters road if i remember correctly oh yes exactly yeah. well so okay so going back to minersville um that i was talking about earlier sorry i know i'm jumping around a state right. that nobody Thing about, <laughs> but it's all this all eastern Nebraska. So Seven Sisters Road is like literally like an eighth of a mile away from Myersville. It's basically part of Myersville. But Seven Sisters Road is actually kind of a pretty is pretty famous in the ghost hunting paranormal world. And it's just this stretch of road. There's kind of a folklore about it where this father had seven daughters. He went crazy, killed them all, and hung them along this road. And so that's why they call it the Seven Sisters Road. Now, I've dug into every historical record one could imagine in this county. There's no mention of that. So I'm pretty sure the story, the like folklore is bunk. But people have had dogman sightings, Bigfoot sightings, apparitions. The, people hear screams at night. So, I mean, if you go out there, suppose your car won't start, kind of all that, all that jazz. <laughs> every town has one of these. 
But Seven Sisters Road is like right by Myersville. And so it's right in kind of like what I feel is the heart of the high strangeness in Nebraska. It's in this little tiny section. It's called Odo County. And it just it's right along the river. And it just has a history of so much weird stuff. So, yeah, like while I feel like the folklore is, you know, totally not real, I think the phenomenon that people are experiencing there is very compelling to me. And I sure believe a lot of these stories, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, that's very similar, I think, to some of the stuff that Tim has talked about with like mm-hmm. uh, Toad Road and um, uh, Hex Hollow and yeah, uh, exactly. places there. I've just been reading, rereading his. Uh, yeah. And if you, you kind of wonder, because I talked to a story and she said the story of seven sisters road goes back a long, 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 long time. And she, and I was kind of, I was wondering like, because of the folklore about this place, is that why the phenomenon appears? Because people have put so much emotional like anticipation <laughs> on, on this place. Like I, I, I always do wonder if like, cause I'm very interested, like a lot of us are on the, enchantment of place or the magic of place right right but i'm not certain to me i'm not certain if it's actually the location or if it's people that's the question i'm always asking myself too um and i wonder if it's both you know you know sometimes there, there, there have to be i mean i'm certain that there are places you know not to go too far into like haunted planet but I think that, you know, there are places that probably have something about them and it right. could be, I don't know. I mean, it could be what, what's the whole, is it quartz? Is that the, yes. the, the thing that, yep. you know, yeah, the whole quartz thing. And, you know, I've had, gosh, when I was driving back from Sarai's actually, it wasn't an intense experience, but when I was driving back, I think the last time that I went up there to, to visit and shoot some stuff. I was driving um, through uh, the area, I forget the name of the area, but right there in Pennsylvania where it's like supposedly all the courts is underneath there. Um, mm-hmm. It's like the top of the, is it the Poconos? No, it's, I, somebody's shooting me right now uh, virtually <laughs> because I'm butchering whatever the. Uh, it could um, be the Poconos though. Like if, is I'm, it? Or Appalachians. No, it's part of the Appalachians. Yeah, Appalachians, yes. Uh, anyway, and I had a very intense, uh, smell experience where Ooh. all of a sudden, um, and it was just, this is like the highway, you know, going, you know, uh, through nowhere, I smelled, uh, flowers really intensely and I'd only smelled flowers like this before at, uh, certain, uh, sort of sacred tombs and, and shrines in uh, really? parts of India. Yeah. It was just like all of a sudden, like really, really intense. I started smelling it. Um, and yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe there was a bloom of flowers happening there, but, um, I, I was very surprised it was, you know, uh, I wouldn't, I would have thought to the wind, like, you know, windows open, you know, going 70 down the highway yeah. that it wouldn't have stuck with me if it was just flowers coming from somewhere. But anyway, well, it's interesting yeah. no matter what, because of the emotional reaction it elicited. It right. It did. It elicited a very specific emotional reaction uh, from me. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, but I yeah, point being, I do think that there are places uh, and again, maybe I'm disproving my point. Maybe that was just me. But I do think even if I don't have proof that there are places um, as well as people who are probably making this, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I tend to lean that way too, and I can't tell if that's just because I want that to be the case. That's, exactly, <laughs> that's I, probably I do, the reason I'm I do, doing it. I too. do love the idea of like, ooh, there's certain places on this planet or in this country that are enchanted, and if you go there, you increase the odds of it happening. Yeah. I actually think that, but I can't tell if it's because I want that to be true. But an interesting experiment, I think. Like, I, I was a big fan of Jeff Richmond, especially the episodes you, he did on this show. So, right, I, I yeah. thought those were just wonderful. Um, like, really important lessons for me. I've listened to him multiple times. And, you know, he talked about, like, look, if you want to have a paranormal experience, go out to a location outside a city for multiple nights in a row. Yeah. And you will experience something. He's like, it won't be what you expect, but you'll experience something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 So Richmond like, also, like, I, I mean, it was, it, it really did, I mean, the chapel perilous was intense for him too, in it terms was. of what he brought on, you know, yeah. himself person, you know, and he, he talked about that. Yeah. Uh, he, he's I kind of a, know. I mean, he's sort of like, you know, when I listened to him talk one, I just learned a lot. It was oh, especially yeah. fun yes. to hear, you know, you, I, I really enjoyed hearing, cause I heard Jeff on a lot of different shows, but was so, what was so like gratifying to me was it was like hearing two paranormal old war vet experiencers <laughs> talking to each other, you know, because you've had so much, he had so much and like watching you guys come here, listen, you guys compare notes was super valuable. And I learned like so much um, because I feel like, you know, you can read about cases all day long, but talking to experiencers for me is the most valuable thing, you know, in these studies. Like I just find it so exciting. Like I love to learn. I love to like pick up on these patterns people have. You know, but like, yeah, I, th I thought Jeff was such an interesting, like forward thinker. You know, I, I really oh, yeah. miss that guy. Yeah, me too. Um, let's take a quick break and we'll be right sure. back. Check out where did the road go.com. You will find an archive of every show right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons, because without you... This show would not be what it is. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Lemina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K, Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, 
Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D, Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. I thank all of you for the incredible support. And we are back on this episode of Where Did the Road Go with Christopher Ernst and Steve Berg telling us all about weird Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Of all places. <laughs> now, Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken, is located... In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. Between exactly. Africa and South America, correct? <laughs> yes. I mean, we're Atlantis, really. Oh, you know? okay. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> the cocentric rings. I've been saying the, it. No one's The looking. giant crystal the, that exists in the middle of Omaha. Exactly. That powers the entire state. <laughs> Most people mistakenly think it's it's sort of in the center of the country, but they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. We're Atlantis, baby. <laughs> All right. So what other fascinating stories have you uncovered? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give you a swath of all high strains. Okay, so this one's not in eastern Nebraska, but I'll throw it in there anyways because I got to throw a lake monster in there. Right. Um, so in a pl- in in a place called Alkaline, Nebraska, very small little place and kind of like it's in the northwest region. And there back in the early 1900s was a rash of these sightings in the Alkaline Lake of what they called the Walgren Lake Monster. And it was like this giant kind of like <laughs> what they called like a giant dragon looking lake monster that was in this kind of big body of water. And for like a three year period, people were seeing it. Now, I have suspicions that this is one of those uh, newspaper hoaxes. Oh, because I guess at the time mm-hmm, there was a right. hand, there were a, a, there were at this very specific time a lot of those going around about lake monsters. I I discovered in this one book, and so I was like, oh man. But and then I also discovered the guy who first reported it was a guy who was like known to be kind of like a a yuckster oh, <laughs> in okay. area. So yeah, but I mean, you know, still today they sell T-shirts and celebrate. So I, you know, I still I still support I support <laughs> the the folklore of it. Not, not to mention that um, sometimes people make stuff up and then it actually happens. That mean ex- exactly, you know. Um, I was I was actually just not too long ago. I was reading uh, Andrew Collins uh, a bit in one of his books where he was talking about how, you know, he would go visit these crop circles back in the eighties and nineties where clearly crop circle makers had made them and he knew yeah. that. Yep. But he would go out there and hear weird, vo- like disincarnate voices, balls of light, yeah. like yep. entities pulling people. <laughs> like So, and circle yeah. makers have had tons of weird experiences. Absolutely. And I find that so darn fascinating. Yeah. I love it. When you were talking about tree structures, I think it kind of falls into the same, same sort of uh, category. Ah, I know. I never thought about it like that, but yes, it's like, it's just kind of like a different version of earthworks really. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever it is, is using these things to communicate, even if it's using us to create them sometimes like crop circles. Yep. That's very interesting. We don't realize we're tools. They're just, no. they're, just they're just creating art. <laughs> yes. We're just screwdrivers. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, uh, you, you were talking at one point, I feel like about, was there some slag that was found? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, was it yes. a park? Well, let's let's jump back into a you know a quasi famous UFO case. So, I mean, gosh, from my house right now, this probably happened eight, seven, six, probably six miles from my house right now. 
back in the mid mid to late seventies. Gosh, I am so bad with years. I want to say it's nineteen seventy seven, but I'm not one hundred percent. Could have been seventy six. In this place called Big uh, Big Lake Park. Now it's technically in Iowa. Iowa, like right where I live, I live on like the border of Iowa and Nebraska. So it's just right over the river. So I'm going to go ahead and claim it as Nebraska, <laughs> if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. But, um, and so um, anyways, this one night, it was during like right around Christmas, um, this car sees this red disc-shaped craft hovering above Big Lake Park, right above this levee. Um, well, they didn't know at the time, but there was another car full of people who were seeing this exact same thing. But when they saw this thing, it was just hovering there and kind of wobbling. And it started releasing a bunch of like slag, like lava stuff. And so both these cars both made separate reports to um, Eppley Airfield, which is the airport here, and to the police and the fire department. And the fire department police came out here. And I actually think people from Offutt Air Force Base came out, which at the time was like the second most powerful like nuclear strategic air command place behind NORAD. Um, but they came out and they, sure enough, they found a bunch of like, you know, what Jacques Vallée would term as metamaterial. And some of that material is what Gary Nolan and Vallée are, are actually studying at Stanford right now. Mm. So we got some famous slag. All right. So uh, <laughs> in, in the first story, you were saying something about there being a piece of metal found. Yes, at the Herbert Shermer thing. And that is actually something I just um, found out from my friend Rob. Um, and he actually, he sent that to me just the other day. And he's like, hey, I was I came across this uh, journal. And he sent me the journal. And sure enough, they found a piece of metal there. And that is like not in most of the literature. Like I never remember hearing about that in the Cotton Report or anything. So, and, and no mention of where that metal is now, I bet. No mention of where that metal is now. And I... The thing is, the slag, I do know, and Valet has it. So Valet loved this case because he did a bunch of research. He came here. He's like, okay, so first thing we need to do is like, what place in Nebraska, what's the closest place that can create molten steel? He found out it was like a place that was like 70 miles away. And so he's like, okay, then someone would have to transport this liquid molten steel all the way to this place, dump it from the air. And so like he's he he basically kind of like ruled out a hoax. He's like, look, we have material. We have like nine witnesses. Like he loved this case. And that's why I think he's, you know, studying the material today. And um yeah. you know, it's it's one of those pieces of meta and I don't look, I'm not like the biggest like meta meta I, like the meta material stuff, like while I think it's neat, isn't like what I'm super excited about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> these topics. But it is, you know, a piece of tangible proof that they're studying. So, I mean, it, you know. I wonder if this stuff is also in the same uh, category as apports, you know? Yeah. It sounds an awful like like it, yeah, where it may just materializes, you know, yeah. like, yeah. In, in which case, it, it, it might have a weird structure to it, you know? Exactly, right. exactly. Well, you know, they kind of talk about, like, you know, a new term that is thrown around these days. You know, I think probably because of Diana Walsh's American uh, Cosmic is the gifting fields. Right. The idea of, like, the field, like, in Arizona or New Mexico or wherever it is, and that there's other places where you can just go out and find high, strange, <laughs> high strange metal. <laughs> and it's pretty interesting. I mean, I find it really interesting that there seems to be this, you know, kind of cult around it and the fact that she's calling it the gifting fields. And, yes. you know, I, I, it's, it's, um, I shouldn't say cult. I guess that's being disparaging because uh, I really don't know. But it, Jacques Vallée is very interested in it. And that oh, yeah. is sort of yeah. enough for me. And he seems to be increasingly, too, I mean, you know, uh, uh, the whole 
that whole sort of, I guess it wasn't really a debacle, but the whole thing where, you know, he had the book that was going to come out right. about Trinity and then it got changed yep. so that uh, uh, Paula Harris had, you know, more credit. And I don't know, that right. could have just been so that he could use the material. But, you know, it was, I guess, worthwhile enough for him to say, here, we're going to change this uh, so that he could talk about that. So talking about these materials seems important to him for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it does. It seems like that's like what he's almost all about these days, because I yeah. feel like the last like four or five interviews I've, I've had, he, he's he wants to stay on topic. He wants to talk about the Trinity case and he wants to talk about the material yeah. they're studying. And even, I was lucky enough to actually see him speak about two years ago in Nevada, and he did talk about the Trinity case. And I read, I read the book, and like while it's not my favorite valet book, historically speaking, like the the his, you know, the historical perspective he even aside from the the UFO thing is quite fascinating. I find, I find like I recommend that book, yeah, not just as like a UFO book, but as a different perspective of sure. you know post-world war ii america like it, it, it is a pretty deep and like sometimes very sad book <laughs> it is it is interesting and yeah. i just you know i it, it you know it's again that confusion uh of why you know uh no shade thrown against Paula Harris, but right. she's coming from a very different sort of place and yes. like a different world of ufology that to me seemed a little bit sort of different and maybe more commercial. Right. Yeah. But then again, you know, Jack Vallée is doing forwards for uh, TTSA books and there's all this sort of crossover between, you know, the uh, uh, UFO might as well stand for un unprecedented financial opportunity <laughs> and you know mystic mist weird mystic rosicrucian mystics you yeah know, who I mean, are obviously don't need the money right like you know it's it's interesting because like, like like i know like you know a lot of people have like kind of been judgmental about how valet has conducted his research and, or like who he's attached himself to but like right right i I, I, I i don't yeah and i don't either like you know like sure I, yeah. like I, I mean, like, while I, I actually know, pilot, I, I shot a pilot for Comedy Central, and it was about, like, UFOs. It was kind of about, like, uh, Anthony Bourdain, but it was, instead it was High Strangeness, right? And we were able to shoot the pilot. And pa the only person who would let me come shoot a UFO fest or UFO convention was Paula. Wow. And she charged me zero dollars. Oh, that's And cool. she gave Very me cool access. And we sat there and talked for hours. And we came to this kind of reasoning where, like, I see, I don't see this, this like topic or phenomenon the same as her at all, Yeah. but she is a really nice person. <laughs> like, you know, that, no, I, that's absolutely. Yeah. I, and, and, I am not overly familiar with her. I think my only objection to her stuff in the Trinity book is that it's under hypnosis. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Like the hypnosis, there's always an asterisk for me when hypnosis is yeah, kind of right. mentioned. I, and totally I think, agree. yeah, my my misgivings had more to do with her involvement with kind of the Greer disclosure uh, side of it. Yeah, things. look, like I even, I even, I, you know, I was kind of because she was really nice, and we talked off camera for a long time, you know, and mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, yeah, I don't know, like I feel like you're talking about Adamski, like this is fact, and she's like, because right. it is, and I'm like, well, okay, this is where we disagree, you know. <laughs> yeah. So she just has different ideas. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure, like a lot of the stuff I was saying, she's like, oh, you read. She actually said, you read too many of Jacques' books. 
It was like kind of laughing. Uh-huh, and okay. I, I'm, I'm like, touche, you know, maybe I do. <laughs> right. So, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, because I surround myself in an echo chamber of yeah. people who think like me, probably. But uh, yeah. yeah, but, you know, like Adamski may have had a real experience at some point, but you also totally. got to realize that the stuff he wrote was written previously with a more religious context to it. Absolutely. And so you, just you can't just, out. yeah, you can't just throw that out, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think I, I like, I, I am open to the idea that Adamski did have some sort of experience. I just think once that experience like ran its course, he had to make up new material. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that happened yeah. a lot with contactees. And, and that seems to be, I mean, that's the trickster phenomena there. That's Yuri yep. Geller. That's, you know, yeah, and field poltergeist. You know, maybe totally. the Fox sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And the Fox you know? sisters are a weird one too, because you know, people are like, Oh, it was proven a hoax. And it's like, no, yep. uh, one of them admitted to, you know, hoaxing it in a way that seems like it would be really hard to hoax by cracking your right. toe, your toes and stuff. Um, but you know, like who knows why, you know, if that was the case and there are plenty of reasons why someone would want something to, uh, just get dismissed. Yeah. Like, I totally agree. I think there's kind of this point, and, like, Yuri's a good example, because if you read enough about Yuri Geller and, like, you know, watch some of the studies and listen to some of the accounts and data they have on him, I don't think anyone denied this guy has abilities that are completely confounding and unexplainable. But to the mainstream public, I remember my dad, when I was a kid, I was talking about Yuri Geller. He's like, oh, he was in the Johnny Carson show and couldn't bend a spoon. And so my dad just, like, threw out... Everything. Everything he's done. Because he didn't look, you know, and that's the thing about with a lot of like UFO stuff. Like a lot of my friends, I I had like some friends, like even though they should know better, I have friends who like aren't into UFOs. But when that New York Times article came out last week about like how a lot of like, you know, the they were talking about how like, you know, the the gimbal and the tic tac were probably spy planes. Right. My friends were like, see, man, they're not real. I'm like, dude, that's not what I care about. I don't care about that stuff. Please, please <laughs> right. don't like right. But it's so funny. Once people hear that, you know, they want as as much as a lot of people want this stuff to be true. There's just as many people who don't want it to oh, be yeah, true. Absolutely. You and know, it, and it's funny because like when all that stuff came out, I said, these are probably drones. Yeah. Same here. You know? <laughs> and, and so now, you know, the New York times is like, these are probably drones. It's like, yeah, I know. You know? Yeah, exactly. It and, doesn't and, mean and, there's not a real phenomena. It just means this isn't part of it. Absolutely. And it also doesn't mean that they don't have reams of wonderful data that should be studied. Right. But right. Yes. It, when it comes to that specific case, they probably chose it because it's not authentic. Exactly. You know? Yes. Look so, over here. Look at this one, you know? Yes, exactly. Now give us, now allow us to have, you know, another $50 billion for defense budget. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole narrative around that, it's all been very, uh, like, um, what's, what's the word <laughs> I'm, I'm searching for a word, uh, like an academic word for it. We'll really like based around the idea of like technology and machinery yes. and yes. the military. And, yeah. you know, um, it just, it, 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 none of it seems besides, I think a couple of the, the guys and I actually, you know, well, I, I don't want to say that, you know, they didn't experience anything. Maybe they experienced something that was brought on by themselves, but, I feel like, you know, besides a couple of them who said, oh, I felt strange since then, or I've had, 
you know, psychic experiences, it, none of it smacks of a true, even like a, you know, abductee visitation. There's something of it, which feels very, uh, I guess, manufactured, um, in in some way. And I mean that in sort of a, the larger sense, not manufactured necessarily like it's a show that's put on. Well, I mean, maybe, but yeah. Well, when you have an experience like that and you truly believe it's anomalous, it may shift your, your view of reality enough to make you feel uh-huh. a little weird that, for a while. Yes. Yes. I, and that's uh, yeah, absolutely. And that that's, you know, the the <laughs> what I call sort of the um, the the Greek mystery school paradigm of things where you can, you know, and who knows? I mean, there very well could have been some actual uh, uh, like other enchantment that was happening with some of those. But in many accounts, the Greek mystery schools were about creating a situation through sound, light, uh, you know, uh, drugs that you were able to have some sort of um, mystical experience that was m- many times of your own making uh, or influenced by uh, uh, essentially a some sort of advanced not sensory depth tank, but like an immersive uh, uh, sensory tank where you're getting all these different kinds of uh, uh, sen- sensory information thrown at you. And that's prompting that kind of experience. You know, Ooh. in talking about all this, there's, there's also, I just saw this recently, but it was actually from May where Jeremy Corbell was saying that the U S uh, what is it? I've seen the logs. I've seen the videos. Um, <laughs> what do you say? They, they, something like they go up every day chasing UFOs. Okay. Hey, yeah. Yeah. yeah I here saw it that. is. I saw that. Here it I is. Okay. Uh, U S military fighters shoot at and engage UFOs on a weekly and sometimes mm-hmm. daily basis. Yes. Yes. Jeremy. It's like, I, I, okay. His, his, I mean, like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Like, well, you know, I, I've never met the guy, but like, he's always, I feel like he would kill more flies with honey than he would all this vinegar. He's so aggressive. He's so, everything's so aggressive. I'm like, urgent with this guy. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. man, like, it, this is not, like, I don't understand what they're, like, what are they waiting around for? Like, what is going to, like, like what is going to satisfy these disclosure hounds? You know, cause and, I feel to me, UFO activism is like annoying to me. <laughs> and, and oh yeah, absolutely. And then the question becomes with someone like Jeremy, like, is he a useful idiot for the, for whatever government agency is, is pushing this or is he just seeing dollar signs and going, ah, okay, I'll run with this. Yeah. Just tell me whatever. You know, probably a combination of both would be my guess, you know, without having any kind of evidence or proof, just going off what it seems like. I mean, like the thing is like, I guess like, you know, we're all like three of us are like roughly the same age, probably like Gen Xers, whatever. Like mm-hmm. we're old enough to have, to have, cause I, I mean, I've been to this stuff since I was a kid. This has just happened before, you yes. know, like oh, yeah, yeah. it's the same people involved, the same promises are made. And yep. like, I just like, I, I feel, and, and also like if you were to pick one thing about this wonderful high strange phenomenon that we all love, this is the most uninteresting part about it because it's not even about the phenomenon. It's about government, how government works. (laughs) (laughs) And I just don't understand. It's so boring to me. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let the government that we don't believe in, you know, anything that they say, let's let them tell us the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, guys, you're going to be waiting forever. In the meantime, like go out into a field at night and like, you know, I mean, like that's the thing. I, I, I feel like, I don't know, Chris, I think maybe I was talking to you about this the other week when we were in Nashville. Like I like feel like I am so privileged to have been able to spend so much time reading and thinking and listening to 
stories and information about this stuff. This is, this is, this is a luxury. I feel to me, you know, like there's a lot of people who like have so many real life stresses, four kids, three jobs who don't have time to think about this stuff. Right. Right. So when I do, I try to be discerning with the material I take in because Mm -hmm. I realize it's such a privilege that I just don't have time for the disclosure stuff. And I want to hear about like people's experiences, how it affected them. And like, listen to shows like yours and, and hear from experiencers like you, sir. I, you know, like that to me is like why I'm in this stuff. <laughs> well, also, also this stuff is personal. Like it has, a, it, it, it is a very personal phenomena. It doesn't necessarily look that way at first, but the more you look into it, the more you realize it has such a deep effect on the people who experience it, which would yep. not necessarily happen if it was just nuts and bolts aliens. Absolutely. Absolutely. There there is an awakening aspect to this that that is very, very personal. So the government going out there and and talking about it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's almost like when your favorite, you know, cool, like for in your case, metal band or punk band or whatever, the band that you love that no one really knew about becomes like a top 40, like popular band and they sell out. Yeah, that's yeah. like that's what disclosure is to me. It's like, <laughs> ew, it's like something I love became like now it's like a government thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not that's not high strange at all to me, man. That's like and, and in the same in the same way that a band gets signed and then the, the label decides, well, you need to sound more like this. You got to do this. And it just yes. gets watered down. The yep. same thing with this. It just becomes watered down to, oh, let's, let's, we don't know what they are, but we got them on radar. It's like, we've been getting them on radar for as long as there's been radar, you know? Yeah. I mean, go, God, go back to the ghost rockets and all yeah. that. I mean, like, yeah, this is not new, man. <laughs> and they're never going to tell us exactly. They're never going to give us the best data they have, period. I oh, do no. not believe that no, ever. No. Yeah. They're going to give us stuff that's useful for them to give us. Of course. Of course. Maybe it's that like every new generation has to rediscover it in order for it to be magical or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I guess. It's- but there, you're right. I mean, it is, it, 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 and I don't think he was correct about everything, many things, but there is something about the sort of time wave, not, I'm sorry. Yeah. The time wave zero novelty, uh, thing of Terrence McKenna's that I think is, you know, something has happened with mass commu- mass communication and media that is now allowing there to be this greater sort of recursive cycle of like nostalgia mm-hmm. and like repetition of cultural memes that I think, I yes. don't even think we can parse it out yet until maybe a hundred years from now, right, but something's right. happening. Yeah. Well, we are, yes, yeah. we are just about out of time. You, you, you both, can you both stick around for a Patreon? Oh yes. All right. Uh, Steve, tell people where they can find you. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, my social media or whatever is Berg, Bergmaster 5000. And I am currently starting a little YouTube channel where I go out and kind of document and investigate, uh, high strangers in Nebraska and other places in the Midwest. I have one video where I went to the Van Meter festival, um, a couple months ago and I had a blast doing that. So yeah, I'm actually going to go shoot one tomorrow. So look for more fun little videos if that trips your trigger. Okay. And uh, Chris, you, of course, can be found at brightrectangle.com. All right. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. We talked for a while on a Patreon segment with Steve, uh, which was a lot of fun. He will definitely be back. Um, I have some really cool stuff coming up. I have a two-part show, or maybe a long show. I haven't decided. Initially, we did it as one show, but uh, I have not decided how I'm going to put it up. It's a video show with the Snake Brothers about their trip from e- to Egypt. We did it back in September, and I have not had a chance to actually put it up for everyone. 
So that's coming up soon. Uh, there's a show with um, Jeremy Vaney as we compare our Kundalini experiences and a lot of other very interesting things on the way. If you want to help out, become a patron. It's only $3 a month. Go to wheredidtherogo.com and click on the big Patreon link, and uh, you'll get extra content all month long. There's also merch available on the website. You can also make a donation or any number of other things. All the info's on the website, and I am going to take you out with a song from Mark Anthony King and Rob Maurer. Now, uh, Mark got a hold of me last week, I think it was, and uh, he sent me the song, The Way You Move, and uh, I thought it was a good song. So I asked him if I could end the show with it, and he said absolutely. So if you like this, the band camp at which you can get it is Mark Anthony King, M-A-R-K, Anthony King, dot bandcamp.com. And uh, yeah. Enjoy. I will see you next time.
have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.